After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, guys, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that for a limited time, all Mint Mobile wireless plans are 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly on to you. I haven't skipped a beat using Mint Mobile services. I have a great service even when I'm traveling for over less than 70% of what I was paying before. Listen to Uncle Chael and say bye-bye to your overpriced wireless plans, jaw-dropping monthly bills and unexpected overages. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans starting at 15 bucks a month. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash chael. That's mintmobile.com slash chael. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash chael. $45 upfront payment required. That's equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tacova's is your first stop for the best in Western style. And by the way, you don't have to be into the Western look to grab a good-looking pair of boots. I recently got a pair of ostrich skin round-tip boots, and I'm warm with my suit. These boots are so versatile that I can throw them on with a full head-to-toe suit. And Anthony Smith came right up to me and he's asking me where I got them. Well, I told him the only place to get them, Tacovas. And they have a seasonal limited edition offering. It's right now, this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, accessory, and more. My wife just surprised me with the ostrich wallet and a belt for my birthday, in case you've seen me. I feel like I look pretty sharp in it. I truly do. And Tacova's has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Plus, their direct-to-consumer pricing keeps value on your feet and money in your pocket. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary beverage or two, and shop for new styles. The smell of fresh leather and a friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it into the store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and they ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your favorite pair of boots today. What's happening, guys? Happy Tuesday! 
and thank you for joining another special episode of your welcome look i hope you had a great holiday weekend guys some news broke about the ufc 282 main event and it has changed you know it by now prohaska versus Teixeira 2 is off yuri's got a bad injury and the 205 pound title is vacant and we've got a new main event at UFC 282. Let's dig in a little bit deeper to what's happening and what this means moving forward. Well, I'm a Prohaska fan. I mean, right, like if, if Yuri is counting the members in his fan base, he can now add one. I'm there. Now, I would love to tell you guys, I would love to explain to you what happened between Yuri and Glover. And it's not that I lack any information. I have all the information that possibly exists. And I will explain it to you right now. And when it's done, before you think, Chael, you missed something, or Chael, you left something out. No, I'm not. No, I am not. We have language barriers. In all fairness, we have between Yuri, between what I'm going to say to you guys, between Glover, as good as they are, something here is missing. Something here is not right. And before I tell you the story and you think I don't know, yes, I do. I know it all. Even if the fact pattern I'm about to lay out for you seems off. Now, okay, I'm not looking to be a dick about it, right? And I know that I'm not known over here to spare the lash, but I would never kick a man when he's down, ever. To tell the story accurately, I must start at the beginning, which is you guys did not care about this fight. And when I make that statement, I get resistance from you. You could pay analysts, and the UFC does. You could pay analysts, and Bellator does. You could hire analysts. And one championship does, and you can pay them a ton of money, and they all do, to give what's called a projection. How is this fight going to do so we can operate within some confinement of budget? Or you could go to Chael Sonnen's YouTube page for free. There will be absolutely no difference. I am not only audited, I am publicly audited. I am not one of the biggest voices in the sport. I am the biggest. And I understand the arrogance in that statement. And please don't tell me Joe Rogan's bigger. Joe Rogan has 25 topics and I have one. I do not give a damn who's on the moon. So when I tell you that I have my thumb on the pulse of this sport at all times to an exact increment... It does not come with exaggeration. It is audited, but it is publicly audited. So when I put out a topic about Prohaska versus Glover, it is the biggest bomb that I have personally produced in my time over here at YouTube. Now, I don't have a lot of options once it bombs. Like, there's not a lot of good options. But when this thing tanked and none of you clicked on it to see it, the comments and the interactions, it's just dead. I didn't accept that it was. I thought I must have posted it on a weird day. It must have collectively and in coincidence 
been at the same time in the same day as something else in the world was coming and I got drowned out. So you know what I did? I doubled down and I made another piece. It bombed. You guys didn't click on it. You didn't go down to the comments. You didn't act on it. Now, I read every single comment. And a person left me a comment. And they said, Chael, this fight doesn't bomb. The relation between us wanting to see this fight and us wanting to hear your video talking about the fight are not correlated. Yeah, they are. They're exactly correlated. They are 100% parallel. You do not need to pay a million dollars to an analytics firm. You could just have me drop an idea and go to YouTube publicly and know if it's going to work or not. Now, this is just the truth, and I don't know why. I have my guesses on Prohaska versus Glover. I have my guesses, but it had nothing to do with the physicalities of the sport. Those two already met up. It goes down, in my mind, as the greatest light heavyweight fight of all time, as far as entertainment goes. That's a huge bar to pass because that spot was held, I believe it was since 2013. John Jones and Alexander Gustafson. If I'm wrong, it was 2014. Jones, Gus, part one, greatest light heavyweight fight I've ever seen. And I've seen other really good ones. Prohaska Glover replaced it. I don't think that you guys disagree with me. And those of you that don't have it at number one, you've got in your top three. And then if you get the really big jerk at the party, he doesn't have it at the top five. Like, this is an awesome fight for sure. It was the fight to make. We know who our champion is, right? He's the guy with that big 12-pound gold belt. But what is a number one contender? I'm not sold on the idea that you, the audience, is aware of what definition is supposed to be attached to number one contender. It is supposed to, and I get that we don't get here very often, right? I mean, things are tough and you move forward. It's supposed to mean this guy, the number one contender, has proven to be the best of the field. He's the champion of the field. He's just not the champion of the weight class yet. So now that he's proven himself the best offering of the field, there's one question left, which is, can this guy beat the guy? We don't get there that often. We try, but the sport moves really fast. Glover was for sure the guy. And he was for sure the guy because he'd already beaten Yuri. Mathematically, he'd already beaten Yuri. He just had to run out the clock. And by the way, there was only 30 ticks left. Okay, so we found the match. We found the fight. We got the venue. We're going to T-Mobile. We got the worldwide leader of ESP on it. And Chael triples down. Makes another piece. Oh, I told you a great story about these guys. Told you how good the first fight was. Told you all about it. Broke down the map. Brought up the 30 seconds. Boy, I had everything that you would want for a fight. It bombed. You didn't want to see it. Okay. Now, we know there's trouble in paradise on that fight. And this isn't me being a jerk. I'm, I'm attempting to tell the story. That's all I'm attempting to do. We know there's trouble in paradise. Not just because Chael's YouTube, which is the most accurate thing you could possibly have in this way. If you want an indication of what you should do as a promoter, you reach out to me quietly and you ask me to make a piece on such and such idea and then you see how it does. 
That is exactly what the top promoters in this sport do. And I'm happy to do it. I don't, I don't mind that at all. I don't charge them. I don't even call it a favor. Yes, absolutely. Okay. We know there's trouble in paradise, not just because you guys say so. In a public audit, we know there's trouble in paradise because we start a rumor that Jones and Stipe is going to be that same night. Now, we've already got the light heavyweights book. They're signed. That's done. We're going to bring in somebody over the top of that. We're going to replace our main event. Now, this isn't a maybe. This isn't, this isn't a one. Like, what I'm saying right now, you don't have to be Kreskin. This is glaringly obvious, but here we are. Here's the date. Here's the fight. And off we go. So what do we do? We're going to bring these two guys to New York City, and we're going to pray to God and heaven above that with the most powerful media force that can possibly be assembled on earth, something interesting can happen. And it didn't. I'm not talking about manufacturing stuff. When I talk about this stuff, I'll always have somebody that tells me you're a WWE fan. I can't remember the last time I watched the WWE. I don't deny that when Hulk Hogan was leg dropping people and picking up Andre the Giant back in 1986, I, I, I don't deny that I appreciated that. But no, there is no part of me that ever suggests the manufacturing of conflict, ever. Something's interesting, something is not. It doesn't have to be conflicted related. It, it can be organic. It doesn't have, but we bring them out to New York. We run the cameras on the outside chance that somehow this becomes more, and it doesn't. Okay, we've now done everything that we can do. There's nothing more we can do. We're going to roll these guys out and we're just going to stick to the plan. Exactly what the plan says. They're going to get on an airplane this day, and then they're going to check their way this day. There's going to be a little bit of a media scrum that I have a feeling nobody's going to show up to, but we're going to hold it anyway. And then we're going to do a weigh-in, and then five hours after the weigh-in, we're going to do a ceremonial weigh-in, and then we're going to start the damn show. Fine. That's fine, but this is where we're at. Okay. You know what? We're actually going to stop right here. I'm going to stop you right here. There's a thumbnail. You clicked on this. I don't have to make a great piece to make you click on it. I have to have a great thumbnail. You don't know what I'm going to talk about. I could have given you the cure to cancer. You didn't know. I'm actually going to stop the piece right here. I'll get back to you. I'll continue this in another piece. But I think for right now, I'm just going to prove the point that you guys just don't care about this match. So what happens with Yuri Prohaska? Now, I've got to tell you, I'm now a Prohaska fan. And I never had anything against him. I'm just sharing with you. I thought that he was a little bit dull. I like the fighting style. He's got some really interesting angles that you, you couldn't begin to mimic and duplicate. I don't think like his coaches are even showing him. It's like a DNA thing, the way, the way he's built, the ranges he comes from. But he is a freaking handful. And then he's got the cool haircut and he rises to the top of the division. I mean, in all fair, Usada's bugging him. I mean, what did we just hear about Prohaska? We didn't hear anything about him getting ready to fight Glover. I mean, that, that was a complete dud. But we did hear that Usada visited him like 25 times in a 30-day period. I mean, you know it's bad when you're making headlines about your champion, about him having to piss into a cup. When he has a world title fight coming up, like, that, that's a really good sign that the train is off the track here. So I appreciated Prohaska. I get... Total stud, but I wasn't overly interested. I got to tell you, I'm now a fan. I really am. And here's here's what happened with Prohaska. So Prohaska was in Vegas training when he was hurt. 
Like whatever injury happened, but he was there in Vegas. And that location is very important because now the UFC can get their hands on you. They can get you the right treatment. They can get you the right doctors. They can really work with some specials, but they're also going to get information back and forth. You're not going to have a situation, and I don't want to kick TJ Dillashaw. I'll just use it as an example because it's recent. You guys will remember. Where a guy goes into the ring damaged, and then that damaging aspect ends the fight. Right? Like, TJ was able to do some of those things because he was in California. The fight's on a different continent. You could control some information. Prohaska, other side of it, information's here, but let's deal with it. So they give a good look at his shoulder. Now, you know what Prohaska said? He's got a messed up shoulder. I don't know what's wrong with him. Frankly, that's his business. We just know it's a shoulder. I don't know if that means that there's tears. I don't know if they, they come in and out of socket. I don't know enough, but we know that it's his shoulder. You know what Prohaska did? He tried to fight anyway. He didn't deny it. He didn't say I'm not hurt. He didn't lie to anybody. He wasn't getting ready to fill out an application and be dishonest with it. He just said, I'm going to fight him anyway. Okay. <laughs> okay. The guy says he's a samurai. I get lots of guys that claim they're a samurai. But believe me, from firsthand experience, everybody's a gangster until a gangster walks into the room. So Prohaska apparently is the real deal. Now the UFC takes a good look at it and they say, whoa, hold on. Hey, this shoulder's a mess. There's some, we're going to have to really work on this. I interpret that to mean that there's going to be surgery. I interpret that to mean there's going to be a long recovery time. Now, the fact that he was stripped is why I have that interpretation. If we had an injury, I don't believe you have a stripping. It's a major part to this story. If you have a champion who's hurt, who's injured, who doesn't feel well, if you're doing anything out there where he can't compete, it's quite literally why we have the creation of the interim championship. That's not what happened here. He was stripped. Now, that's a big deal. It's a huge deal. I just, I can't get you guys to care because of the characters involved. For whatever reason, you, just, you were never on board with the Prohaska and the Glover match. You, you were never there. But if I was to use any other champion and I was to tell you the story, a popular person that you really care, and I told you they were stripped because they were hurt, you'd go, wait a second, I've never heard of that. How long have they sat out? How many matches have they missed? How many guys have they held up? You'd be very right to ask those questions, but I would have the answers. Well, okay, you know, gosh, we're going on two years. Well, yeah, his last fight was February. 2001, and you'll, you'll know, you'll remember when he got carried out there. Like, I would have an answer to that. I don't have any of these things here. Now, I have to interpret that as when they gave a look at the shoulder, this is something that can't be, this isn't overnighted. You're not just going to repair it instantly. So you got to look at the situation and say, we're going to have to take the belt off him at some point. There's no reason with the information that we're given to kick the can. We're at that point right now. Now, that's very tough stuff. You're dealing with a guy who worked very hard, who earned something, who was willing to go through it anyway, who said no to any challenge out there. He accepted them all, and now I believe we have an injury that's pretty severe. It's a big deal, and that's private, but I share that Give him good thoughts. You're going to comment to him on social media if you happen to see him and you give him good thoughts in these situations. You don't give him a hard time. 
Okay, so they vacated the belt. They're not going to go with Glover. They're going to bait Uncle Ivan. They're going to uh, Blahovich into the spot. Now, I knew that Uncle Ivan and Blahovich were going to fight. I think that you guys did too. I followed the sport very close, and so do you guys. I didn't have the foggiest idea that they were fighting that same night. That information's out there. You could go out there and Google it. But in anything else in this sport, you could Google it or you could just ask Chael. I didn't know that they were fighting that night. So when you're talking about replacing it, when you're talking about, well, maybe this fight wasn't big enough, but now we've got a much bigger fight. You think that there's politics. You think there's bureaucracy at play. That's just not what happened here. Blahovich versus Uncle I, this doesn't move the needle in any which direction. And the way that Blahovich and Ankalaya got set up is actually quite fascinating. There was a four-way, I'm going to be the real fast version, but there's a four-way race for who was going to be fighting for the world championship. And they all played to some degree. They played terribly. All of them played terribly, but they did play. They did play to some degree. Ankalaya saw that the ship was going down without him. So when he goes overboard, he takes Blahovich with him. <laughs> he calls out Blahovich. Now, Uncle Lyot was in the four-way race for possibly to be the guy. When he got the writing on the wall, he's not going to be the guy. That takes himself out, and Blahovich still gets to play, right? That would be a normal situation. Uncle Lyot grabbed a hold of Blahovich, took him with him. He called him out. So now if you're going to have Uncle Lyot fighting Blahovich, when you know that Prohaska's the champion just by default, not because you wanted to do it, you've got to put Glover in the world title fight. But when Glover goes to the world, these two other guys aren't. It's very interesting, right? I mean, this is a very salacious piece of psychology here. If these guys went out and they really got this story told of why they were going to fight in the first place, not the championship, let's get to that later. Why was this match made in the first place? It was a hell of a thing that Uncle Ayev did when he knew that his number wasn't going to come up. Instead of letting the other boys play, he grabbed, a, he grabbed Blahovich and took him overboard with him. It's a fascinating story. It is equally as fascinating as Dustin Poirier being pissed off at Michael Chandler because Chandler didn't call him out. Okay. But it's going to be for the strap, not the interim belt. And so when you start to get this information, you're kind of getting it out of order. Now, Prohaska, God bless him, he comes out. And you know what he had to say about this? This is a terrible situation. This will impact, impact you financially. You want to talk about legacy, I don't love that topic, but it is a real one. Whether I like it or not, it will be impactful. There's a lot of moving parts to having that belt taken off of you. I mean, it was hard enough to get the damn thing. And the way you're going to keep it and defend it, I mean, it's, it's the hardest job and the hardest thing that you could do in life. And have it taken away from me. You want to know what he said? Two words. You guys know what Prohaska said? That's life. That's it. That's all that he said. That's life. He made no excuses. He didn't blame a training partner. I don't know what happened to his shoulder, but anybody else I, I would have known. They would have said what happened and the training partner did this. I mean, you, you would have had this whole story. He said nothing. That's why we don't have information here. You think that my story is a little out of line or you think that I'm missing some details. It's not that I am. This is how Prohaska exited stage left. You may like that or you may not, but you can't deny that it was polite. You can't deny that it was sportsmanlike. You can't deny that he did it with tremendous honor. Prohaska was not beat, but Prohaska is no longer the champion. I don't know where I sat in terms of the world of 
being a Prohaska fan. I, I can't remember. I can't remember 24 hours ago. I, I don't know where I sat, but I can tell you right now, he has my respect. Thousand, 2008, 2022, when it comes to the economy, those are some scary, and I mean scary years. Dot-com crash, housing crash, and the roller coaster we're going through right now. But one thing is certain, it's a dangerous time to not know your numbers. But over 31,000 businesses have the confidence and the clarity they need because they rely on NetSuite by Oracle, the number one cloud financial system. Guys, I lived through those tough times. They were awful. I know I have a lot of business owners and leaders listening right now. Guys, I can't recommend NetSuite enough to help you prepare for the unknown. NetSuite gives you visibility and control over your financials, inventory, HR, planning, and budgeting so you can manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. Everything you need all in one place. So how do you prepare for uncertain times? The answer, NetSuite. NetSuite helps you identify rising costs, automate your business processes, and easily see where to save money. That's why 93% of customers say they improve their visibility and control when they upgraded to NetSuite. What are you waiting for right now? NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind special financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash Chael right now. NetSuite.com slash Chael. That's NetSuite.com slash Chael. Is John Jones being out for three years going to hurt him? Now, it seems like it's time to start warming up to the idea of the return of John. Like, for a fool, a while there, you look like a fool. John was openly telling you, for a while there, I'm not going to do this. I've got to get up to 240 pounds, and here's a picture of me drinking protein and doing pull-ups. Okay. But it looks like you're within your limits as a fan to be looking in that direction and to wonder if three years has hurt him. Yeah, sure. Okay, but I feel it's a little bit of a deeper question. Many people have said this, which is all accurate. They're just reminding us of what a good memory they have. That John Jones, when he left the sport, was barely getting by Dominic Reyes. Barely squeaked past him at 205 pounds. Reyes is no longer the number one contender. And that's with staying active and busy and doing it. His spot as number one contender has fallen over the three years. So how would John's, even at number one, how would Johns not have also fallen? That's reasonable. That's reasonable. And you could bring in uh, Tiago Santos, and many of you do. And you say the exact same thing that you said about Reyes. You're not wrong to do it. You, it's just a complicated, it's not apples to apples. It's very complicated when you go from light heavyweight to heavyweight. It's very complicated. What are, what are we talking about here? Are we pretending that heavyweight is a more difficult class? No. It's a premier class. It's the perennial class. It's very hard for us to pretend that it's a more difficult class, particularly for me. I watched Randy Couture, who was a light heavyweight, win the heavyweight belt. I watched Daniel Cormier, who is a light heavyweight, win the heavyweight belt. I watched Stipe Miocic, who is a light heavyweight, win the heavyweight belt. And that's an interesting one, isn't it? Because you're going to say, Chael, what do you mean, Stephen? He's never fought anything but heavyweight. I understand that. 
but he was a wrestler all through college and he was at a maximum of 197 pounds, which even if he wanted to move up eight pounds would make him a light heavyweight. When he defended against Francis Ngannou, he weighed less at the weigh-in than many heavyweights weigh on fight night. Girl, I don't need to go down that road with you. I'm just throwing examples at you and I couldn't do it in reverse. I couldn't give you a guy that was a heavyweight and was able to go down, but I also couldn't give you a light heavyweight that dropped to 85. I couldn't give you an 85 pounder that dropped to 70. I couldn't give you a 70 pounder that dropped to 55. I can only do it in reverse. So let's just say that heavyweight is not as most difficult of a class, then, then that would lead us to the conclusion that even if John slid, is he better than the field at heavyweight? Fair question. These are all questions, right? There's a reason we put the boys in there and we have the fight. We don't know. But these are reasonable questions. And then is John going to be better? See, everybody's got a number. Includes you guys. Everybody has a number. They just don't generally know what it is. They don't generally know where they can move their best in conjunction with their strength, in conjunction with their speed, in conjunction with their conditioning, because they all tie in together. There's a number you have, you'll be strong, my goodness, you can feel it, you can feel your power, you get an underhook, you can hold a guy there, but you're too god darn turned to use it. You get to these positions and you're like an oak tree, but you can only move around for a few minutes. I've played with Daniel Cormier. I told you guys this story a long time ago, but I've, I've sparred and worked out and played around with Daniel Cormier for a number of years. And Daniel was a guy whose weight moved all around. In college, 184 pounds. In the Olympic Games, 211 pounds. The UFC champion at under 265. The UFC champion at 205. He's been all over the place. And... I've always been very right to go and compete with Daniel. I will push him just fine. He wouldn't tell you different, right? Trying to talk too much about the practice, but just fine. Just fine. He becomes a heavyweight. And he was somewhere around that 240 mark. I've got to guess. There was no scale. And I go in and play around with him. I'm getting ready to fight Fedor. I was in town in California. I needed a workout. Call Daniel. I go to the AKA. And we ended up not working out. He'd like hurt his hand. But we still did techniques. I grabbed a hold of him. Grabbed a hold of him to ask him about something. He was a different guy. He answered my question. I had a question. He answered my question. I remember, it was like a hip thing. He moved in one way. It was, it was like this push-pull. It was really fast. And I realized that I'm this is a different guy. This isn't the guy I know. This isn't the guy that I'm used to. This isn't the guy. When I got in the car and drove here, not knowing his hand was hurt, thought we were going to spark. That's not the guy. That's not the same guy. And the only thing that was different was his number, but he found his number and he ended up doing better the bigger he got. And many people don't know this about Daniel. He's an undefeated amateur wrestler at heavyweight. And I could tell you some big, beautiful names that he's beaten. I could tell you a big, beautiful name that he's beaten. The score was only one to zero, but the other guy, he could, the guy, the other guy had zero. He couldn't score a single point. Everybody's got a number. Generally, it's lower. Generally, it's a little bit smaller. Sometimes it's a heavier one, and John doesn't know the answer to that. See, I would, I would be very comfortable. When John left off in this sport three years ago, if all of a sudden John says, Dana, take the... Everything's the same except the three years. 
John gets done with Reyes. It's a super close fight. Most of us thought Reyes won. John gives the belt back. John's going up to heavyweight. If we would have done all of those things and not put the three years, I would be sitting here telling you whose ass John is getting ready to kick and we'd all be done. And you could insert any name you wanted. You'd try to bring up the weight. You'd try to tell me he's going to weigh about 222 to 225 pounds. And I would know that you're right. And that is kind of what John walked around at. And before he started training hard and went into camp and pulled down to 205. And so we'd assume that he's going to stay there and he's going to be about two and a quarter. That's what he's going to weigh. And I think that he would have beaten everybody. John removing himself to change his own physiology to get up to 240 pounds. It's interesting. Is that his number or did he just work against himself? It's very interesting. I was surprised. Of all the things here of this John experience that, that have surprised me, the only one that really made me stand back and go, what are you talking about? The only one. I mean, John has earned the right to his opinions, earned the right to make his own decisions. The one that he did that caught me off guard, I thought, what are you talking about, is when he said, I've got to weigh 240. 240 seems like a very reasonable number. It sounds like if you were to go and look at the guys who've done the absolute best, you could bring boxing and MMA, and you could go find a real magical spot on paper of 240. If I was to give you guys a magic wand and you're in the UFC and you got all these skills, but you got to pick a weight and you got between 206 to 265, where do you want to go? You probably come in somewhere around 240, right? The reason it surprised me with John is John has been in the workout room with heavyweights and meaningful, big name, champion heavyweights and sparred and worked out, but thought he needed more size. Those heavyweights who are champions, who gave up the size and worked out with John, didn't agree with him. They knew he, you're ready right now. And that was when about that 222, about 225, that's about what he weighed. Before he got in good shape and pulled down to 205, that's about where John Jones was. And those heavyweights are signing off going, you, now, you're ready right now. Please don't come here. We're friends, right? You're going to stay down there and I'm going to go up here, right? I mean, it was one of these things. And the only part, the only part where I had to stand back and go, man, how are you coming to this conclusion is when John himself said to go with this weight class, this is the number I need to be. And it was a very arbitrary number, at least by the explanation that John's given. He's never told us why 240. I feel like we can all get it. I mean, if you were to go and you were to look for guys that moved really well that were at heavyweight, but the lower end of it, you'd also come to that conclusion of somewhere around 240, 235, 245. We're saying the same thing. But the guys in the practice room who tipped the scale at 265 and who have won championships before and who felt John didn't think he needed the time. And I would only be curious, is it going to work against him? I'm not hearing that. I'm hearing great things from the practice room. Coaches are saying that he hits harder than ever. But there's a trade, man. Everything in life, there's a trade. You're telling me he hits harder and you're, you're feeling on a focus mitt. You're watching him on the on the heavy bag. I don't disagree with you, but everything's a trade. It, it is simply not humanly possible to be more powerful and equally as fast. And your conditioning remains. One of them gives every time. So you look at John Jones and you wonder, okay, one of those three is going to give, right? This is a video game. This is a video game. You got these power meters. One of them is going to give, but the other two might go up. They might, 
It's a very rare person. You could get two out of three. You can't get three out of three. Most people get one out of three. You could get two out of the three. Between your conditioning, your speed, and your power, you could hit the sports lottery and get two of those three. And if you want to talk about John's not as good as he was three years ago, just using logic, no evidence, he's just not. Okay, great, but is the field as hard? And do you not remember the separation that John had between himself and the field? It looked as though a reduced John, at one point, at least, was still better than everybody else. What makes you so sure? What, what makes you so sure that that's still not the case? Switching from one of the biggest names in the sport to arguably the biggest name in all of MMA, Conor McGregor. It's been a few weeks since we last checked in on McGregor and his return to MMA, so let's get caught up to speed. Guys, Connor's getting in his own way here. Look, this all started a couple of weeks ago. It comes out, this is closer to a month ago, it comes out that Connor's not been tested by USADA. Oh my goodness, was this ever red flags? Well, then it comes out he wasn't tested by USADA because he's not in USADA. He's removed himself from the pool. Now, in fairness, that part's interesting. If that part is interesting because once you're in the pool, how you come out of the pool is only a couple of ways. So if Connor has retired from the sport, which quite frankly, he might have. Now again, I'm going back a month, but at the time of the, he might not be returning to the sport. Every single fighter in the world who isn't fighting right this second may not ever going to be fighting. I mean, that's true about everybody. And we talked about that. I've told you guys my favorite retirement ever was Sean Shirk. Champion of the world, left the sport for two years and then made a comment one time. Oh yeah, I'm done. It was just, it was awesome. But I'm, sh I'm sharing with you why you think Connor won't do that. Why you think there's going to be pomp and circumstance and there's going to be a parade like the one they held for Tom Brady. Connor could be retired from the sport. He would not owe it to us to tell us. And he could have used the R word with USADA and the USC and come out of the pool and kept to himself. And I mean, but he, he could have. This isn't what happened. I'm sharing with you, he could have. So when it comes out that he wasn't in the pool, that was a point of interest. Instead of that being a point of interest, and that's where it ends. Where I tell you that's interesting, that's where it ends. It's not salacious. On a scale of one to 10, this isn't what's going to clickbait you through the moon. It would have been of interest. The end. Well, no, not so fast. So people decide that it is for salacious reasons. Connor is into the pool. Oh, by the way. Let's, let's take a new look at the photographs that Connor has posted on Instagram. Let's take a new look at those photographs in light of the fact that he wasn't with USADA. So Connor never tries to clear this up. And quite frankly, there's nothing too clear up, right? It's, it's just kind of chatter, but it is going in the wrong direction. It was going pretty strong. And Connor didn't really try to bury it, but Connor did come out and he made a statement and he was talking about one of the clauses within USADA where he could be tested a couple of times and be back and ready to fight by February. Connor's words were, I'll be ready to be tested by February. Hold on. When I said, I started this whole piece by telling you Connor's getting in his own way. That's not the right choice of words. I'll be ready to be tested by February. Why wouldn't you be ready right now? I mean, what is it that you want to be ready for? You mean you got to get something out of your system? You mean something won't be cleared until February? Time out. No, no, that isn't what he meant. 
It wasn't a great choice of words unless you were going to follow it up. Now, let me follow it up. I haven't spoke to Connor or Audie. All right, I'm, I'm just sharing with you. I'm not, I'm not like bringing you inside information. I just, I know I'm right. I know I'm right, which is when he says I'll be ready to be tested by February, the reason that Connor left the pool in the first place had nothing to do with PEDS. Had nothing to do with the leg injury and he had to take something that was suspect and it might not be in line with USADA. So it had to do with the schedule. <clears throat> Being within USADA for a person, for an athlete who's completely grounded, He's got a little apartment over here, and his car's parked downstairs, and he goes from the apartment to the car to the gym, and then, and then he comes back. And every now and then, he's got to get some groceries. The rest of the time, he's in his house. He's resting. He's recovering. To keep up with USADA under those circumstances is a lot of work. One thing that I'm not positive you guys have fully ever understood is the 365, 24-7 whereabouts clause of USADA. Now, they're very reasonable, right? Like, if you don't inform them that you got to run to the grocery store, but you run to the grocery store, they don't come to your apartment where you said you'd be and then ding you. They're very reasonable. USADA never gets credit for that. They'll call you. Hey, if you don't answer the phone, they'll send you a text. Hey, if you don't answer, they'll go to someone else that they know that knows you. Hey, as a matter of fact, he's not home, but I know where he's. They'll drive over to the gym. They'll kind of look for you. Everything's very, and then you finally do contact him. And they've wasted half of their day. They don't ever take it out on you. They don't even tell you you wasted half of our day. They're very reasonable, truly. I'm also reasonable when I tell you it's a lot to keep up with. <clears throat> we had a wrestler who went down. He missed the Olympic Games. And it was on a whereabouts violation. Now, in a calendar year, you get three strikes. If USADA comes to test you, if you aren't where you said you would be, for whatever reason, you miss. No pro One, no problem. Now, but now you kind of learn. Now you kind of, okay, hey, this is tight. If I'm going to fly to Denver for a training camp, I can't say I'm in St. Paul. I need, I need to make sure I go online. I, I need to let them know that. Well, then you get a second hit. Okay, well, now you've really got to clear. And not to mention, this is within a calendar year. You could have 20 whereabouts violations. If you've been with USADA for eight years, I mean, just for example, it's very reasonable. If you miss three, it's an automatic fail. Period. The Now we think you're hiding from us. That sounds reasonable to me. I, I mean, I'm, I must tell you, three within a calendar year and then it resets and you can be a pretty disorganized guy. I, I think that sounds reasonable. And I can only tell you a couple of guys that I'm personally aware of who've gone down on that, but it's real. And you're not going to give, though USADA will give you three strikes in a, in a calendar year before you're out, you guys aren't going to give somebody like Connor one strike. If you had information, if any pundit out there had information that Connor had one strike, this would be this massive news. So Connor doing all the stuff that we see him doing in conjunction with, there's something about this Roadhouse business. I mean, I, I've got to throw that in there because I, I don't know where they're filming Roadhouse. I don't even know how many days of work that is. I just know it's not in his hometown. He's got to travel to go do that. He damn near has to travel for everything that he does. It does make the whereabouts much more difficult. And if you know my leg is broken, I'm not going to be fighting the next period. Oh, and by the way, just from an organizational standpoint... I can put myself at risk. It is better, and it was wise of Connor to remove himself from that. We have absolutely no other evidence, and we really have no reason to believe 
anything else than that, including when Connor says, I'll be ready by February. When I'll be ready by February is biting him in the ass. I think it was the wrong choice of words. I think if he would elaborate, I think I just hit it perfectly. I haven't talked to him. I mean, I'm, I'm admitting I've got what you guys got, but it's open for interpretation. I think you're interpreting it wrong. And I think you're interpreting it wrong because the people in my position are choosing to present it to you the wrong way. I will be ready by February. To me, says, everything's going to be, whatever this road, all these things that I keep saying, he's, he's going to be grounded. He's going to be at home. He's going to be at SBG. He's going to be back at the house. He's going to have his normal life and go ahead and come on in. I really feel like that needs to be cleared up, right? Before you start bringing, or you start posting photographs of a guy and you start making these assumptions. I had a guy on, uh, on Twitter tell me that he had to take, he was defending Connor. He defended him and said, well, yes, Connor had to take performance enhancing drugs to heal up from the surgery. USADA is well aware of it. So everybody's working together, just removed him from the pool. Like none of that's true. I know that person was just trying to sound reasonable. They were trying to sound like they understood the situation. There's not a single word of that that is accurate. He could be retired. I will throw that at you. We don't know if he will ever fight again. To fight again, he has to go through USADA. But it's to the point now where USADA's had to speak on it. I don't love it when they do that. That's a conversation for another day. I don't love it when USADA speaks up. But USADA has a policy that if you speak, we will then speak. We won't go first. But if you go, we will go. Meaning we'll even correct your... I, I don't agree with that. I don't think anything that takes U.S. tax funding dollars, that's a different conversation. But they have spoken up. And they said that the clause that Connor had alluded to where he could do a couple of tests or even a couple of months in the testing pool does not apply to him. And that re-entry will be six months. And I'm telling you what USADA said. I'm not telling you that that's the final say. Connor shared what he would like to do, which is a couple months to test. USADA's come out and said, no, we've already decided it's six months. I will tell you my interpretation of USADA rules. They don't have that right. That's my opinion of the rule. If you were to retire from the sport and you have no previous infractions, it's four months. This is an old rule. I'm quoting you an old rule, but I don't believe they've changed. If you leave the sport and you have a previous infraction, it's then six months. Now, had Connor never fought in the sport before? And they need a last-minute replacement for this Saturday, a week away. With zero time in the pool, he would be eligible to go. So when I tell you it's an interpretation, though USADA has shared their interpretation, that could be pushed back on. I don't know that it will be. That could be tested. But when they said that he will need to do six months... I feel as they should have gone a step further and said as to why, because there's very specific for who has to go six months if you've already been in the pool versus who can return to the pool versus in unusual circumstance situations such as filling in Saturday when you've never even fought in the organization before. today's show. I want to take a look at a division that McGregor has been rumored to return at. That's 170 pounds. We've taken it as a given that Kamara Usman will rematch Leon Edwards for the title sometime next year. But finally, we got somebody speaking up. Oh, 
Oh, thank goodness. I woke up this morning, it was like it was my birthday or something. The very first page that I open is Blahal Mohammed telling Kamar Usman straight up to Kamar Usman. He used the media to do it. You lost and you don't get the next crack at it. Thank you. Why, why did this, why, why, why? Why did this take, why have none of you done that? Why has everybody accepted and moved aside for Kamar Usman? Now, very reasonable explanation. He was the champion of the world. He was ranked number one. He was winning the contest. Of course, he gets to redo it. Not to mention, it's a trilogy. Many people forget that about the Leon fight. Many people think that was the first time Kamara and Leon fought. It wasn't. It was the second. Now, you split results, you go to a trilogy. That argument is going to win the day. Kamara is going to get the opportunity. Fine. Why would the other argument not be made? Why wouldn't you remind the world of his loss? Why wouldn't you remind the world of the time he took the kick? Why wouldn't you remind the world of the time he couldn't close out a fight that he was winning against an opponent who he'd already beaten? Why wouldn't you remind... I loved it. I loved it, Blah Blah. Nothing in this sport is done. You want to know who will tell you? Kamar Usman will tell you that. Nothing is done until it's done. There was a WWE guy. And he was, in, he was into the Hall of Fame. He got into the Hall of Fame. They made this big announcement. It was similar as we do in the UFC. It'll be like, like the surprise thing. Do you remember the day when Dana pops on and he tells Boss Rutten and they're live on TV, hey, Boss, you're going to this year's Hall of Fame. Like, it's a really exciting thing. Or when they told Khabib, but, but then you still you still got to get on the airplane. You still got to come out. Mom and Dad come and they bring the camera and they actually go through and now you're in the Hall of Fame. They did this in the WWE and they told this guy he was going into the Hall of Fame. Between the announcement and the time, something happened. Something happened. And it was silly, too. It was like an airline ticket or he missed his flight. It was something stupid. He didn't walk across the stage. They never put him back in. He, to this day, is not in the Hall of Fame. I mean, I just share with you, like, nothing's done. Nothing. And then when, even once you have it done, once you got the bird in the hand, once you got the marquee, you got the press release, right? And that's where everybody thinks it seems to stop. Like every now and then guys will come and they will battle for their spot. They'll battle for their recognition. They'll battle up to their opportunity up until a press release comes out. Then it's done. It's done and you, you've got to move on to something else. Do you know how many times between a press release and fight night, do you have any idea how many times there is an opportunity? Do you know how many times there is a massive opportunity? I can think back, there was a huge fight. They were in Las Vegas. Sold out arena. I mean, this is way back. This is way, way back. But there was a guy named Hosmet Chemayev. He was a huge deal. The people just loved him. There was another guy named Nate Diaz. They made it past the press release. They made it through the training camp. Some bitch, they made it past the airport in TSA. By God, they made it through the hotel lobby. Son of a gun, they made it through media week. The fight didn't happen. They both fought. The card went on. The arena was sold out. They didn't happen. And I could tell you those stories repeatedly. Kamar Usman, true trilogy, was winning the fight. Yes, you give him the rematch. Does he end up in the rematch? I don't have to go back further than last week. Glover Teixeira was the number one contender in a world title fight. He now is not.
I'm just sharing for you to position and to put yourself in a position to step in and to fill in and bring this to the attention moreover to speak about what something else won't speak about. Good for Blahal Muhammad. There's another side to this story. There's a complete other side to you were champion and you got the opportunity. And as a matter of fact, Tyron Woodley gave it to you. You then gave that. You could fill in the blank, right? It's all of these guys. I never had the opportunity. Nobody ever gave me an opportunity. But I'm beating just as many men as you have. As a matter of fact, in the short term, I have a better record than you do. I have a common opponent as you. I got a no contest. You got knocked out. I'm just sharing for you. There, It never ends. It never ends. Making your argument and making your case and standing your ground never ends. And I appreciate that when Blahal came out and brought this to everybody's attention, I really did. I, at this point, don't know what weight class Jemayev is. Last week, Dana White told somebody. I saw it I, I saw it in my own eyes and hurt my own eyes. But he told somebody they're working on Jemayev versus Colby Covington. Great, that was last week. Last week, Jemayev himself tweeted to Alex Pierre, see you December 10th. So I'm just sharing with you, like, there, there, there's this active confusion. You don't ever fully know what's going on. And people will tell you the power of thought. They'll tell you the power of suggestion. They'll tell you the power of words, the power of the mind. Some people call it laws of attraction or the universe, right? They start to sound really weird when they do it, but they will tell you that, but they don't go and practice it. When I was going up, there was something called a daily affirmation. It was like a joke was made of it. And they did, Phil Hartman, rest his soul, did it on Saturday Night Live. I love myself. I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And doggone it, people like me. Like, they would do that. But you don't always see it in real life. You just hear about some coach or somebody telling you to, I, I feel as though Blahal Muhammad is convincing himself in front of us. I really do. I've seen Blahal fight outside of his gloves on more than one occasion, including his very last fight. Blahal's very last fight where there was all sorts of crazy pressure and he gets put with an undefeated opponent. He gets pulled down to an undercar and he goes out and he gets a stoppage. I mean, I, I feel as though... You would tell me how good Blahal is or how good he's not great. I mean, I'll just use Luke as an example because they had already fought. That's the bar. I know where he's at against this specific opponent. Luke is not any worse today than he was then. So obviously Luke wins, but he didn't. But he didn't win. Blahal did. Blahal's training with the same guys. He's putting in the same amount of time. He's at the same weight class. What's the difference with Blahal? It appears to me that he started to believe it. That's it. To me. That's what it appears to me as an outsider. I don't see him using new combinations. I don't see something that he's done different, but I do see where he's not afraid to step forward, to rock the boat, to put himself in interesting positions. I feel as though Blahal is somebody who pays very close attention to the sport, the current landscape, but also the history of the sport. I really do feel that. Look, I take no pleasure, and I do tell you none. In what happened between Prohaska and Glover. And to further and strengthen my point of how much I do not like that that happened, I've shared with you guys how little you care, right? I come over here, I talk to you things that you care about. I've never got a booby prize more in my entire time 
that I have talking about Prohaska and Glover does me no good. It's a, it's a sore subject and there's no benefit because you guys don't care. But boy, if you don't think that there is a story that absolutely has to be studied, if you don't understand the importance of having Prohaska versus Glover, they waited six weeks to, they had six weeks to sign it and didn't want to do it. They begrudgingly went into it and then started a rumor that Jones and Stipe were going to fight. I mean, if there was ever a time that it was crystal clear, we don't want, but we're, we're just going to have to deal with a match. How, why? How come? What was different and what was missing? How do we change that for the future? How do we not end up in that same spot? How do I not wait? If I'm the true number one contender, I don't want to wait six weeks for it. If I'm the real number one contender, I want it in six minutes. How do I change that? Why'd that happen the first time? Prohaska and Glover is off. Ankalaev and Blahovitz is in. Not a single 205 pounder. Not a single licensed athlete. In the spot of unarmed combat, has spoken about that. Not for it, not against it, not even about it. For three years, Stipe, Francis, and John Jones have ran over here and done a little round robin that nobody tried to get in the business of. And I wake up this morning, and the untouchable... The pound-for-pound pound king, the only guy who's ever been argued to be the greatest as George St. Pierre even argued, Kamara Usman, got called out. His standing and his opportunity got called out. It got called to everybody's attention. It got called out by Blahal Muhammad. If you guys aren't appreciating these lessons and you're not appreciating that and what it represents... We're watching two different things. All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. If you want to support the show, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts like the one from Eddie, which says, Chael could make a story about knitting seem interesting. Well, I really appreciate that, Eddie, and you're right. I've actually got a good knitting story. Remind me to tell you it sometime. I will be back on Friday. Tell that I'm Chael Sutton, and you are welcome.